thank you that um, your Holy Spirit is here. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is with anyone who is in hearing of this live stream this morning, Jesus. We thank you that you are good. And Jesus, at the end of the day, we want to be left singing your praises, saying, Jesus, you are good. Not some of the time, but you are good always. Thank you that you are a God that meets us on the mountaintop. And that you are a God that stands with us in the valley. Jesus and we just I just pray that um, we would have a testimony from this morning Jesus and that we wouldn't be silent but that we would speak that testimony out that we would speak out our worship that others would be able to see you that others would be able to experience you Jesus Jesus, we love you. I recently was introduced to um, a Bethel album. Um, I think it's called Peace. And in that album, they take um, a lot of familiar songs and they strip them down. So it's acoustic, it's very simple. But I think what hit me the most in that album is that they slowed everything down. And I found that as I was singing along at that slower um, melody, these songs that I knew began to take on a whole new light. So for this next song, that's what we're going to do. And it's a slow song typically, and we are gonna slow it down even more to allow these words to take on a new shape for us, to allow these words to sink into our hearts a little deeper.
to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.
If you're able to kneel with me for prayer, will you do so? Dear Heavenly Father, we're bowed before you. And we do say, you are welcome here, Holy Spirit. You are welcome in this place. We just declare, Lord, that you are our living hope. You are a firm foundation. You are an anchor for our souls. And never do you leave us or forsake us. You have left us with your Holy Spirit so that we would not, um, we would not live on this earth as orphans. But we would continue to have your guidance and your leading through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for that. Lord, I do pray that each one of us, um, that we would allow our hearts to be open before you, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to do the work within us, Lord, that you desire to do, to transform us, to cause us to be the people of God that you desire for us to be. Lord, I pray for Conrad as he prepares to um, deliver the word that you have laid upon his heart. I pray, Lord, for just the boldness and the courage, Lord, that he, that he needs to deliver the word that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that he would keep his eyes fixed and focused on you. And in fact, Lord, I pray that you would even give him a vision of you as he's delivering this word, of your presence with him, guiding him, directing him, leading him in your path for us. I just thank you for Conrad's obedience, Lord, and for the time and um, the time he has spent, Lord, with you this week, praying and meditating and, and listening for your voice. I just pray for a shield of protection to be around him as he delivers this word, Lord, both now and this moment, Lord, but in the week to come. So I pray again, Lord, for strength for him, for strength for his voice, for clarity, and for courage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And God, that your word would be transformative and that we would hear your heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. I want to thank Josh and Janelle Gish for the way that they've led over the last month, and for all of those who also, with them, shared from here this morning, preached um, about prayer. I have to say I was very excited about this message this week as I thought about the power of Pentecost and what it means for us. And then sometime about the middle of the week, George Floyd in Minneapolis was tragically killed. And over the last several nights, riots have broken out throughout our country and only increase. My question for the Lord was over the last 24 hours, how in the world do we celebrate the coming of your spirit in a world that is so broken, so full of violence, so full of pain? And until this morning, I wasn't sure, but I got up early this morning and spent more time with the Lord, and the message changed dramatically. The message title is 
Pentecost, peace, and the police. Pentecost has become for us a bit of a forgotten day. If we did anything much in my growing up as a kid on Pentecost, I don't remember it. But I also had tremendous fear of committing the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, such that if we did much on Pentecost, I probably put it away in that compartment called Never Happened or I Can't Remember. All of which is quite unfortunate and clearly not what Jesus intended and hoped for as he talked so much with anticipation about the coming of the Spirit. For Jesus anticipated that the coming of the Holy Spirit would be a monumental and cosmic event in world history. For it was the coming of the Spirit that was going to enable you and I to do the hard work that we are called to in Isaiah 40, to lower the mountains and to raise the valleys, to make the rough places plain, the crooked straight. In other words, to bring God's righteousness to bear in the world. Not just to receive the Holy Spirit for ourselves and to hang out and speak in tongues and prophetic words and love one another, but for the sake of the world that God so loved and so loved still, for the sake of the same world for which Jesus came, that is also why the Spirit came. The Spirit came not for the church, but the Spirit came as much for the world and for the kingdom of God. Once we sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had one grand project, and that grand project was to bring His shalom. The Scripture's clear about that. His order, it's a Jewish word that means peace, prosperity, order, and ultimately God's reign to earth. As the grand wording of the Messiah reminds us each Christmas, that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of our God. While Jesus was on earth, he went about bringing order to people's lives, bringing salvation to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the demon-possessed. But Jesus recognized that his ability to do so was capped and limited by the human body that he was in. I don't know if that caused him frustration, but it must have. And that one day he would return as the spirit who could be in all places and at all times and with anyone, anytime. Everything Jesus said about the Holy Spirit almost suggests, leans towards, as we'll see in a moment, this idea that he couldn't quite wait to get back to heaven to send this gift to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit that we so often ignore or deny or quench or forget or misunderstand. The devil has been actively at work for 2,000 years to make sure that we continue to deny or forget or ignore or misunderstand what the coming of the Holy Spirit means to us and to the world. As a result, the grand excavation project that God cites in Isaiah 40, which is to bring his kingdom to bear, to answer the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That's what the Isaiah 40 excavation project is about. To lower the mountains, to raise the valleys, to make rough places plain and a crooked place, places straight. And because of our failure to embrace the Spirit and the work of the Spirit, to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I suspect we are behind schedule on that excavation project. If we understood why the Spirit of God came, and if the church had acted upon the Spirit's desire and call upon our lives, we would not be experiencing the incredible violence right now in this country. Violence that has come back to us because we have not understood or acted upon 
that the Spirit's coming was meant to bring order and justice and peace and God's reign on this earth. The Spirit's coming was in a new and powerful way to be transformative, not only at the level of you and me individually to transform our lives, but also to transform the world that God loved, he says, and so loves still and continues to love. In Luke 11, 11 to 13, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit this way. He tells the story of a parent, of a father. And he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. It's interesting that up to this point in chapter 11, Jesus has not spoken of the Holy Spirit at all. But lo and behold, out of the blue comes the Spirit, dropped in on this story. That the Spirit is the gift the Father gives to us. I mean, Jesus could have put anything else there instead of the Holy Spirit. He could have put love and joy and peace. But instead, he promises the Father will give the Spirit to us. Why? Because just about every other gift we could want or ask for comes wrapped in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes with all of the gifts that we need. The Spirit is the complete package. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples who were anxious about his leaving, distraught that he said, I'm going back. And he said this to them in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. For I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace or shalom, I leave with you. God's reign, God's order, God's peace, God's prosperity, and my peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, there's nothing to be troubled about and nothing to, be, nothing to fear. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. You would be glad because you would understand what you're getting in return. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Here Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as our advocate, the one who defends us, our counselor, the one who speaks truth to us, the one who brings peace, order, God's reign to us, the one who has kept us from being orphaned when Jesus went back to heaven, the one who parents us and advocates for us on our behalf as any parent does, and giving direction to us as any parent, good parent, does. Paul says of the Spirit this way in Galatians 4, But when the time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, in the most intimate terms imaginable. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Paul uses this wonderful poetic language to describe the coming of the Spirit, that God sent his Holy Spirit, of uh, the Spirit of his Son, Paul says, into our hearts, the Spirit that calls out Abba, Father. It is through the presence of God's Spirit, which is the presence of Jesus, that we become sons and daughters, intimate sons and daughters of God, knowing God well and Him knowing us well. Our identity as God's children is made possible through the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. We are the temple of God through the Spirit within us. You see, intimacy with Jesus and with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is made possible by the coming of the Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus couldn't wait for his disciples to receive the Spirit because in some mysterious way, the Spirit is also Christ. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, we are invited and it's made possible that we develop this deep, intimate relationship with God where we walk with God and we talk with God and we know God's heart. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, we are God's temple and the temple of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit's presence in our lives, we receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, gentleness, and more. Because of the Spirit's presence in our lives, we receive all that we need to do, to be equipped for, to be empowered to do this great excavation project of leading a highway to God. It's strange that I remember growing up, and well, frankly, into my adulthood, I thought of the Holy Spirit almost as like a different species than Jesus, who even sometimes must be in competition with Jesus. I mean, it sounds like that in the church sometimes. When we talk about the Spirit versus Jesus, it's almost like the two are in competition for one another. I imagine Jesus as the kind, gentle shepherd of Psalm 23, the one who invited children to come to him freely, the one who died for my sins and made me his child, the one who made the lame walk and the blind see. But the Spirit... I grew up deathly afraid of the Spirit, sure that someday I would commit some offense that caused me to be damned forever. I often believed that though Jesus loved me and had forgiven me, I now had somehow offended the Spirit and my salvation was invalid. It seemed to me some days like Jesus had left the Spirit as a kind of test of my faithfulness. It just wasn't clear to me why the Holy Spirit had come. And so I developed the theology, at least in practice, that excluded the Spirit. Oh, I could repeat the Apostles' Creed, but I set the Spirit aside in my life because I didn't know why the Spirit had come or why the Spirit had anything to do with me. My fear of the Holy Spirit paralyzed me, stymied my growth as a child of God, stymied my intimacy with God, kept me from intimacy with God. And although my fears may have been extraordinary about the Spirit, though I know others struggled as well, the outcome of excluding the Holy Spirit from my life and theology is not extraordinary as I look at the church today. And I'm speaking of the church broadly. 
The outcome of our twisted thinking about the spirit means that we've developed a spirit-less life or a spirit-light life. I ultimately believe that the church in this country since the 1980s has turned to political power for our advocacy because we have excluded and given up on the Spirit's power to advocate for us. Why in the world would we look to any earthly government to advocate and defend for us when Jesus said that was exactly why the Holy Spirit was coming? Why would we look to the government to advocate us when we got heaven on our side? It makes no sense. It's back to this God or mammon. God or politicians. Where is our hope? When we turn to others, when we turn to politicians and government leaders for help, we are doing so because we have found the Holy Spirit's help just inadequate. It's just not enough for what we need and want. And that's because in part, so much of what we need and want is not on the Holy Spirit's heart either. You see, the Spirit's coming was meant to empower us to be on God's mission. Not to take care of ourselves, not to protect ourselves. He said in Luke 10, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is, this is what we signed up for, folks, to be lambs among wolves. Not to find other earthly people to protect us. That's not the mission we're on. That's not mission if we're doing that. We were called in Isaiah 40 to lower mountains of injustice against the poor and oppressed. We were called in Isaiah 40 to raise up those valleys where the least of these have been imprisoned because of the color of their skin or the country of origin or because they are just old and not needed anymore or because they're mentally ill or any other number of things. These valleys house those whom we have discarded but with whom Jesus felt himself a whole lot more comfortable than those who lived on the mountains of power and influence and wealth. Folks, the Spirit's coming was meant to help us make crooked places straight and rough places plain, to address the broken world that we see this week all around us, to bring God's shalom, God's order, and God's reign to a broken world. If that wasn't our call, Jesus would have waited to send the Holy Spirit till we got to heaven. He sent the Spirit when He left so that we could be part of the kingdom work now. Part of the way that we have failed to understand the Holy Spirit, even when we have embraced the Spirit's coming, is to interpret that the Spirit came for me. Salvation is for me. The Spirit's gifts are for me. The Spirit came to give me peace. The Spirit came to give me comfort. The Spirit came to advocate for me. Like so much of what we do, we assume self-centeredly that the Spirit is for me. It is true. That the Spirit is for us individually to give us peace and power and authority and love and the gifts and the fruit. To make it possible for us to know God at a deep, intimate, individual level. All of that is true. But that's where we stop too often. We settle down into a comfortable life and we retire from the excavation project because it's too hard or we don't feel called to it or there are people on it that we're not sure we belong to or that we like. And so we just settle into our own little world. We hunker down and we fail to address the broken world around us. While the Spirit is for us, that is not the end. Just like Jesus was for us, but Jesus is also for the world that God so loved and so loves still. 
We are called not to embrace the Spirit's Spirit and settle into comfortable life and retire, but to bring the kingdom of God to earth. If you don't believe me, think about the prayer that Jesus prayed. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come someday down the road. Thy kingdom come when we get to heaven. Thy will be done later down the road. No, he doesn't pray that way. He prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayer was that the kingdom would come now. That the kingdom would come with his coming and the Spirit's coming. Jesus in his ministry and teaching could not stop talking about the kingdom because it was God's kingdom that characterized God's order and God's peace and God's reign and God's justice and God's love. He was so excited about the Spirit's coming because he was so excited about the kingdom and the impact the Spirit could have on you and I who are called to to this great excavation project that brings in the kingdom of God now. In John 20, Jesus shows up among his disciples. Now he is a spirit released from the constraints of body and he flows in and out of buildings and in and out of dinners and he just, he's, he's a spirit. John 20, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, or the word is shalom. Peace be with you. God's reign be with you. God's order be with you. God's prosperity be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. You see the connection? I'm giving you shalom so that you take shalom to the world. It goes back to Jeremiah 29 when God's people were hauled off into exile because they had failed to care, care for the oppressed and the down and out and the poor and those who were different than them who were aliens. They had failed in that, and the Scripture makes it clear that's a major reason they got shipped to Babylon. But once they were there, God said to them, bring peace and shalom to Babylon, because if you do, it wraps back to you. If you bring peace to the world around you, you'll get that peace back. And so he says, I'm sending you out. I'm giving you the Spirit. I'm breathing on you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Three things happen at once. He says, peace be with you, God's reign, God's order, God's shalom. I'm sending you, and now I'm doing it with the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Peace be with you, he says. Shalom be with you. God's kingdom is now yours. God's reign is yours. And he sends them into a world that God so loved and so loves still. Into a world where injustice and sin reign on the mountains. And he sent them to rescue the poor and the oppressed and the lame and the abused and the poor and the marginalized. And he sent them to correct, even today, 400 years of oppression. Of folks whose color of skin was black and not white and whose justice against them was woven into the very fabric of this country from our very beginning. Racism is often not simply an individual thing. In fact, it's often not an individual thing where we are somehow racist. But we are products, all of us, of a country that has racially constructed itself centuries ago by those in power. 
And by racially constructed, I mean that we have created a country where privilege and opportunity, life expectancy, life chances, likelihood of getting COVID-19 or not, depends upon your skin color, not because it's biologically different, but because it is socially different. And we have been so exclusive and unjust in our treatment of black Americans. When we blame only the criminal justice system for what we saw this week, or when we say it was only that bad cop, it alleviates the rest of us from recognizing that we are also complicit in social systems that have racism built into them, including the church. Thomas Jefferson surmised that those with black skin, and he said this, I think might be less intelligent than those with light and white skin. But he said, we'll let science figure that out. And of course, race science developed soon after that and found what we now know was invalid, that somehow there was a scientific basis for differences between blacks and whites, and the skin color mattered in significant ways. We now know it does not genetically. But it allowed the idea that those with black skin could be less than human. And this was even embedded in laws in our states. In some states, if you had one-eighth black blood, you were uh, considered black. In other states, it was a quarter. In other states, it was half. You could de- your race depended on the state you were in. That's what I mean by we socially constructed race. Again, the idea that those with black skin are less than human was embedded in the laws of many states. And it continues throughout the generations down to the present, just, so, just as many other sins continue across generations in our family systems. Think about your family system. We talk about generational sin. We say things like, I'm not responsible for racism because I, I didn't do anything. That's like saying, I'm not responsible for the way my family has lived and the curses they passed on to me because I didn't do anything about them. No, we're all responsible to address what we've received. We pass both sin and blessing, curse and righteousness, down through the generations. And this distinction between black and white affects every social institution in our society. I've been teaching race and ethnic relations for almost 30 years, and I am grieved over time that so little has changed for my students of color in that class, who come in every semester with story after story of the challenges they have to negotiate just to live in this country and even to go to our college. What happened in Minneapolis this week to George Floyd has been happening to black folks since the first ships brought them against their will from the west coast of Africa. And what we're seeing police do in terms of violence and brutality toward those with dark skin is unique in in the criminal justice system in the sense that it 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 can happen more easily in the criminal justice system because the criminal justice system is really, since the 1970s, based on retribution and punishment through violence. And so police can get away with it in ways that other social institutions can't. But the criminal justice system is no different than any other social institution, including the church, in having racism woven into it. The church, in fact, is the most segregated of any social institution in this country where 98% of us go to church depending on our skin color. This is not politics, folks. This is the Bible. This is not a political position. This is a biblical position. Our love for the Bible and the truth of the Old Testament prophets and of Jesus must direct everything else we see and everything else we do. 
I once heard a pastor say, I don't want to talk about these issues for fear I will become a Democrat, and I about choked. It should be the other way around. These issues should, and the way we see them, should be in response to the Spirit's speaking to us, the Spirit's prompting us, the Spirit's coming to us. Political views drive our theo- should not drive our theology. Our theology should drive our political views, which must be driven by Jesus. Our views of Jesus, our views of the world, our views of politics, our views of Minneapolis and George Floyd and his family must be driven by our experience of the infilling of God's Holy Spirit who came to take care of this injustice. I went to Wheaton College in the early 80s, and this evangelical school, which you can't find any that's more evangelical, I would argue, was founded by two brothers named the Blanchard Brothers. They were deeply committed evangelicals, but they were also involved in social justice and cared about social justice because many evangelicals in the mid-19th century did. Think about Wilberforce and his anti-slavery movement. A leading issue for the Blanchard Brothers also was anti-slavery and the desire to see freedom and justice for black slaves. But I wonder today where, whether the evangelical church in this country would still line up against slavery, or would we see that, that as simply taking political issues and sides? I am sure the Blanchards and many saints gone before would grieve at the church's continued complicity in this deeply rooted sin in our nation, and for which we are and will receive God's judgment. Folks, this abandoning and forgetting and denying and fearing and fighting over the Spirit has been devastating for us in ways that we have no idea because we've lived with it so long like this. We've sidelined the Spirit for so long, we don't know there could be another reality that the Scripture points to. This business of excluding the Spirit from our lives has created great trouble for us. It's left us particularly vulnerable as orphans, which we were, Jesus said, I come, I'm sending the Spirit so you're not orphans. We're particularly vulnerable to anxiety and fear and doubt because we no longer identify or embrace the Spirit's work in our lives. The church is increasingly fragmented and has lost its influence in our society. The the response of so many Christians in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis shows that many of us are as lost as everybody else. The ranting and raging of Christians, the complaining, the vile language, the sheer volume of anxiety emerging from church members and leaders alike reveals that most of us have lost sight of our true destination. That this world is not our home, we're only passing through. We are not behaving like true saints who gone by and are now numbered among the cloud of witnesses and of whom the world was not worthy, Hebrews 11 says. No, our true colors are witnessing to the world around us that we are as faithless and hopeless and spiritless as everybody else around us. Because those who know God's Spirit would not be maligning others, no matter who they were, the color of their skin, whether they were born in this country or not, whether they were gay or straight, whether they were Democrat or Republican, whether they're old or young. No, those who have God's Spirit active in their lives will show it by their love for all people, regardless of these differences. We are all children of God, whether we recognize it or not. And there will come a time where some will choose to be and some will not choose to be. But that will be their decision. Until then, let's let God make that choice. Or them make that choice for God. The difference between what Scripture tells us about the Spirit and how we've come to understand or misunderstand the Spirit could not be more different than night and day. 
Indeed, everything Jesus said about the Holy Spirit had light bursting out all around it. And so much of what we say and think about the Spirit is more like darkness than light. This whole business must make God weep. And I thought, God, you must be weeping this morning. For the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was and still is our only hope for all of the division and conflict and disunity in our lives and the world. Without the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we are terribly vulnerable to the dark forces of the enemy. Is it any wonder that so many of us live powerless lives in which we give in time and again to temptation? Is it any wonder that we are victims rather than victors? And folks, it's not a matter of whether when we receive Christ, the Spirit comes or not. When you receive Christ, the Spirit comes and dwells within you. The question is whether or not you open yourself up to that Spirit. Whether you access the power of that Spirit. Whether you say, Spirit of God, have your way in me no matter what it takes. Do your excavation work in my life first. We can't do in this world what God calls us to do if we don't surrender to Him to do it in our lives first. That's what, that's what accessing the Spirit's work means. It means surrendering. It's not some mystical, magical thing where i got to pray and fast over and hope the Holy Spirit comes. Folks, the Holy Spirit has come! The Spirit came at Pentecost. The question is whether you and I will come. The question is not will the Spirit show up in this church, it's whether we will show up to meet the Spirit. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. We don't have to pray for Pentecost all over again. Pentecost has come. It's you and I who have not come. It's you and I who have not opened. It's you and I who have not made any difference in the world. It's not the Spirit's fault. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And he came to them and said, All authority. Listen, boys. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Don't hang out. That's not what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, by the way, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Acts 1, right before he goes back to heaven, another commission passage. They're saying, when are you going to restore the king? And he says, don't worry about it, boys. Get your eyes on what I care about and what the Spirit cares about. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do we hear what Jesus is calling us to in these last words? Do you hear that the one thing he's left us with is responsibility for the salvation of those in this world around us? That's the one thing. I think it's going to be the first thing he asks us when we show up in glory. How were you doing? How did you do with this passage? How did you do with my commission? Were you willing to be wolves among lambs? Lambs among wolves? Were you willing to do this great excavation project? Were you willing to address injustice in the world? I keep thinking these days of Matthew 25, where the goats thought they were the sheep, and the sheep where the goats became the sheep, and the sheep became the goats, and they didn't have any expectation of why. And Jesus said, it's just because one of you did it to the least of these and the other of you didn't. We brush that passage off like it doesn't really matter. It wouldn't be there if it didn't matter. As evangelicals, we have so often interpreted the meaning of salvation as bringing people to Jesus. That's the beginning. 
Salvation is also for these deeply embedded sins in our families, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our country. Those, those are sins that are often invisible to us, but they are just as great as the individual sins, and we are also responsible for them. You're responsible for the sins in your marriage, the sins in your family, and the sins in, the, in our country. We carry that responsibility. Whether we committed to doing those sins or not, we, we carry responsibility and complicity if we don't do that. The mission of God is about addressing the individual sin and salvation in people's lives, but it's also to address these other systemic issues that so often we don't talk about. The founding fathers of this country were so uncomfortable, this is interesting, they were so uncomfortable with the fact that they were promoting individual freedom and individual rights while many of them still owned slaves. And so they dealt with this incongruity. They dealt with this discomfort of, well, we're going to say that all men are created equal, but we have slaves. They dealt with this by literally stating that those with dark skin were not fully human. Because if we make people not fully human and part animal, then we can do whatever we want to them. Just like freedom of religion and other blessings that we enjoy get woven into our national fabric. So this curse was woven into our national fabric. That we named a group of human beings as less than what God their creator said they were and says they are were. God saw George Floyd gasping for breath in Minneapolis streets. He saw George Floyd crying out, I can't breathe. As much as he'd say it, he'd see if you and I were doing that. He was there and George Floyd had his imprint of God on him as much in that moment as you and I do this morning. Pentecost was God's way of overcoming injustice and the disorder of the world. It was the overcoming of the curse of Babel, where the citizens of Babel built a tower to protect themselves and to be like God. But God comes along and in one swipe destroys their security and their pride by dispersing them and sending them out, disordering them, creating chaos and giving them many languages. Languages, But Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit brings those folks back together again through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It brings all of God's children back together to hear the same message of freedom. Freedom from oppression and deliverance for the captive and sight for the blind and healing for the lame. Pentecost was the outbreaking of God's mission and, and, and the commissioning of God's grand excavation project to lower mountains, raise valleys, make rough places straight, plain and crooked places straight. Folks, we had better be children of Pentecost and not Babel. May we live like those who walk with the Spirit, who have the Spirit within us, who keep step with the Spirit, are empowered by the Spirit, and are filled with the Spirit. But I will say like I always do, you can't access the Spirit if you don't spend time with the Spirit. To walk around and say, I'm filled with the Spirit of God, but to not spend regular time listening to the Spirit of God is not the same deal. We access the Spirit not by screaming and crying out for the Spirit, but by spending time alone with God's Spirit. That's how the Spirit comes to us. That's what saints have shown for 2,000 years. The Spirit comes when we dwell with the Spirit, when we listen to the Spirit, when we shut up long enough to hear what the Spirit has to say to us about our lives and our world. Folks, this Holy Spirit is this incredible gift that Jesus anticipated giving to us. Let's not treat it like a gift that we get at Christmas that we don't like, that we don't want, 
that we don't care about and throw it off and look for something else. This is the greatest gift Jesus left us with. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us as people who so often, and I put myself in that category then and now, who so often have misunderstood, who so often have denied, who so often have forgotten about this incredible gift, Jesus, Father, that you sent to us of yourself among us as your spirit. You said we're going to do greater things than you did because your spirit is among us. God, we haven't even begun to see what we can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your word this morning would transform us. I pray that it would transform our marriages and our families and our homes and our neighborhoods and our country. We pray for this country right now with all of the crises going on, with all of the instability. But we look not to that which is visible, but to him who is invisible with the saints of old. And we believe, God, that you work in all things to bring good to those who trust you. And we pray for the Floyd family this morning. We pray for your comfort and your peace, knowledge of your love for them. We pray for black brothers and sisters all over this country who've suffered and still suffer from oppression. We pray, God, for justice and righteousness to flow down from heaven over them and over all of us, that your reign would be on earth like in heaven now and always in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen and amen. troubles um, as to whose turn it was with a certain toy, and I, I stopped and I encouraged my four-year-old daughter um, to pray and asked Jesus what he would do. She was the one with the toy. And I said, sweetie, after you're, pr- after you're done praying, you listen for God's Holy Spirit. Listen for his voice. forward 30 minutes, um, I asked my son, who's six, a question, and he, he told me the truth, and a little bit later, he came to me and he said, Mommy, when you asked me that question, I, I thought about mine, and he said, but God's Holy Spirit came over me, and he said, 
tell mommy the truth. And to be honest, I had to, I wanted to laugh because he had those big brown eyes looking up into my face and he's six. For him to say something like that, it just, it sounded funny, but it shouldn't. I was reminded of what Bethany has told us, has reminded us. Um, Bethany is our minister of children. And she reminds us that there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no age for this gift that God gave. So children, if you are hearing this, ask your mommy and daddy to play that message again. You, Depending on your age, you maybe won't understand everything, but I am confident that you will be able to pick up pieces that um, apply to you now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. Jesus, we just ask that you would come and blow on through this place, Jesus, that you would blow through our homes. Jesus, that your breath would breathe new life. You say live. we have lost as we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked and one by one the enemy has whispered lies and let them walk our slaves but you know that you are God yours is the victory Let us 
Thank you for being part of our service this morning. I also want to add that I am not against prayer and fasting. My comment was that I meant in place of our own work of receiving the Spirit and embracing the Spirit's work in our lives. If that's what we're praying and fasting for and for those around us, that's a wonderful thing. I'm going to close with this word to you from Jesus to all of us and frankly to the world this morning, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathes on us the Holy Spirit and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Lord Jesus, we receive again this morning your Spirit, the fresh wind of your Spirit that blows and brings life and joy and peace and grants us authority as our advocate, spirit of truth who teaches us. We yield ourselves to your spirit this morning. Do your work and have your way in us through the strong name of our Savior. Amen. Peace be with you.